welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. We've got a special little additional episode today in response to the GA last night announcing that they're coming back, the return of the GA, and we're going to touch on that. Joe Coulter is here with me as always. How are you, Joe? You're good. Very good. Joe, we'll get you to talk afterwards about some of the, the practices you've been putting up and some of the uh, additional coaching things you've been putting up on the website and out on Twitter about returning back and some of the under some of the new regime uh, with 10 players and, and with social distancing and all. Yes, Kieran. Um, uh, brilliant news last night, obviously, uh, from the Irish government and from the GAA as well. <clears throat> so now it means that uh, clubs have a focus and coaches have a focus now and they can, you know, begin to work towards uh, their training plans. Yeah, brilliant. I'm also joined by Ryan McLaughlin, who put the cat amongst the pigeons during the week with his Statsports uh, report on player, Ryan, you'll have to correct me, player proximity report? Yeah, player proximity in the GAA, just following on from our white paper in the Premier League. So I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. Good, good, good. Right bit of controversy there. And also Ryan is SNC coach with the Donegal Hurling team as well. So good applied experience as well. But Joe, we're very, very lucky to have our boss from our London GA Times, Dr. Co- uh, Sean Carmody. I was nearly going to say Coach Carmody because he used to step in and help him with a bit of coaching every so often as well. So Sean uh, was involved with us with QPR as well. He was the academy doctor, um, has worked a little bit with uh, FIFA with some of their studies and stuff like that as well and, and is now um, still involved working in football. So Sean, it's great to have you involved. Thanks very much, Kieran, and thank you for crediting me for, for all of your coaching. So that's, that, that, that's very kind. <laughs> so Sean, Sean co-authored uh, a couple of reports about um, how professional sport can recommence after COVID and also a, a, a special medical consideration for return to football um, from FIFA as well under Andy Massey, the medical director under FIFA. So that should be really interesting. It's brilliant to have the lads on to have a chat about some of the things about both the Premier League and about the GA. Uh, delighted to announce today as well that um, Ripped are, are, sponsor, are sponsoring this episode and the next few episodes. So ripped.app, so ript.app. You can head over to their website. They're a really brilliant service. So we've started using it now with the dailysportscience.com business. Basically, you've got um, a service there where you can input all your gym loads and exercises. You can upload videos of the exercises as well. And you can manage all your squads and teams, all their gym work and RPEs and and wellness questionnaires. Also, then you can do online training as well with individual players and clients. And it's something that we're going to be rolling out over the next few weeks now and a new initiative as regards online training. So do head over. They're offering two months free trial at the moment um, during this period so it's ripped.app and we're delighted to have Cormac and lads involved with us. Okay Joe so just getting into first so I kind of knew about three weeks ago when President John Horn came on the Sunday game and you could call was softball interviewed by Des Cal with the easy questions about the return of the GA and I was very surprised that what he was saying was kind of contradicted medical advice and scientific advice, where he said there'll be no GA while social distancing measures 
uh, are in place. And I thought to myself, well, that just doesn't make sense. That's not going to happen because, first of all, social distancing measures can be here for can be here for a year, can be 18 months, can be 24 months, and surely sport will return before then. And the second thing was that the Irish government and the CMO had advised that, you know, by, by July, by August, that it should be safe to, to continue training and get back into games, like under the different phases by phase four or phase five, they were talking about games in behind closed doors and then games with a small amount of attendees at social distance. So it didn't make sense to me at that time for President John Horne to come out with that. And I thought, like, is that, was that a PR exercise from him? Um, it probably was, Kieran. You know, when, when I heard it myself, I was, I was shocked because lots of people were saying, well, social distancing is going to go on until we find a vaccine. And we don't know when a vaccine's going to come around. That could be a few years. So it was quite shocking for people to realise, you know, no JA is going to take place for another two years. Um, so, yeah, it probably was for, from the JA's point of view. Uh, but now, you know, after the Irish government have, have released their information last night, now it's, it's, it's quite clear that the GA have made a, a kind of a U-turn in that. And we're, we're going to be back on the 29th of, of June. And that's when the pitches reopen. So it's great news, Kieran. Yeah, exactly. And it was a strange one at the time because we have, like on the business WhatsApp group, we've got about 200 members, coaches in there. And as I was just saying to the lads before we came on air there, that that night I remember everybody saying, well, that's it, done. We've no GA for the rest of the year. We might as well pack up our bags now. We can, we can relax and everything like that. And I was saying to him, you know, listen, this is not going to happen. Like, I felt a little bit like the president was playing to a certain audience and probably wanted to show that the association was caring for its members and everything like that, which I understand. And it's a difficult situation. And like even Michael Dignan, who's the chairman of Offaly, came out and said, you know, while there's people dying and people going to hospitals, we shouldn't be take, considering the GA. And I understand that. But the problem is, is that, like, there's inherent risk during this period. When people go to the shop, like, they're trying to keep two metres away from people, but it's very, very difficult. Like, Sean, it's, it's, in ways, it's trying to just minimise risk, isn't it? Because you can't eradicate risk. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it seems that we are going to live with this for quite a long time. So we need to try and understand, well, how can you, you know, how can you reduce risk? Um, and, you know, we might talk about kind of the risk assessment tool and things that we, we delved into a bit later. But, but it is yeah. just about putting things in place um, to try and minimise that risk. And, and that applies to the workplace as much as it applies to sport and whatever that sport might be um, and and obviously certain sports are, are maybe higher risk um, than other sports yeah. as well. yeah yeah it's interesting because like you, you had just said to me before there that uh, about um like you're going into work every day so it, it there's risk there anyway isn't there like there's no point in you completely isolating yourself outside of your work because in work you're meeting people and I'm sure you're taking precautions but there's there's a daily risk there for you absolutely yeah yeah um, and that's why I guess the issue of um, personal protective equipment was such a big issue because you know when when there may have been a shortage um, that made um, the the workplace inherently risky for for um, people but um, 
you know, when you have, when you're taking the right precautions, we know that that, that you know, that definitely reduces the risk, reduces the transmission of COVID-19. Um, so, so, you know, you, you can apply that in a, in a medical setting and, and you can try to apply that in a sports setting because ultimately if, if we don't, then, then sport dies and, and that's definitely something we, we don't want to see. We want to try and make that work as much as we can and try to, to, to live with it. Yeah, exactly. It's such an important part of people's lives, isn't it? In some ways, like it's not in any way important because it's not essential. But in other ways, like just for the mental well-being of people and the physical well-being and, you know, it adds to the economy and people's jobs are on the line, obviously, in the GA and in, in, in the football world and everything. Of course, it's important. Ryan, your, your lads with the Donegal uh, senior hurling team, tell us, so how, how were they a couple of months back and did they think that they're done and dusted, no season, and, and how are they feeling now? Yeah, so I suppose we started off, we had a, a pretty successful start to the season. We, we got to the Division 3A league final, but we actually won that. And we were out celebrating that night. And then the next day we got the news that restrictions, everything's, everything's done. Uh, and it was it was very doom and gloom, and I think the fact that maybe a few of them were drinking the night before, they thought it was a bit of a, a rough hangover. They didn't actually understand <laughs> the severity of things. But uh, no, definitely now with the news last night, there definitely is a bit of positivity there because you know players around the, the country, all over the world, even our training away, it's, it's yeah. undoubtable. Yeah. It's just a bit disheartening when you're training towards a goal that might never actually happen. So now yeah. we've got a bit of clarity. We've got a date to work towards. Again, you can only be positive about that, I think. Yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Because if you're there doing your, your famous 5K runs and your aerobic development week, week on week, you get bored. Whereas now you actually have a date to work towards, don't you? So it, 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 it makes a big difference. I think it, it's, it, I mean, I was very happy to see the GA just coming back aligned to the government advice because in some ways they went on a solo run by saying that, well, there'd, no, there'd be no games until social distance measures will be over, which to me just was illogical. But also then saying that, well, in October, there'll be county games. And I thought, well, why October? Like, it's an arbitrary date. So that didn't really make sense either. Whereas now it's kind of back in line with, with the, the, the great Tony Houlihan and, and Leo Vradker. And they're saying, OK, well, on this date, we can return a little bit more. And like, as we were saying earlier, the number you have to follow the data you have to follow the numbers and and sean like i suppose we were critical in the uk at the beginning and i know you're a doctor so you don't criticize anything but at the beginning of of covid myself and ross and joe and whatever were critical of the government in that they didn't lock down quick enough because the numbers were there to show that potentially this is going to uh, uh, mushroom and become be, be, become a big thing so they should have locked down quickly now on the other side of it, coming out the other side a little bit, like you have to follow the numbers and the data again. And in Ireland, the numbers are so low, aren't they? That's it. And I guess the numbers that are important are, well, the number of cases and you, you, you have to be testing and looking for those cases. Um, you're looking at the number of deaths. Um, and obviously a number which you may have read about, which has become really important, I guess, in, in terms of decision making is that or number mm. and, and that, that needs to remain below one. And, and yeah, we can we can put in all these interventions that obviously, you know, the roadmap the GA has brought out or mm. that other organisations, World Rugby, FIFA, all of that have brought out. But actually, if those numbers in your country are high, well, then actually you, can, you, you can't do those interventions anyway, because it's 
its, its uses. So that, you know, that yeah. will go good in any way. So if there was yeah. to be a second wave, well, that would really, that would stop everything in its tracks again. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that, that's an important point, isn't it? That like you can put out that roadmap, but as soon as there's a, 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 an increase in numbers of cases, like you might have to roll back on that, or you might even have to roll back on it regionally. You know, I'd be interested to hear in Ireland, like for instance, if the, when the GA returns, and then let's say there's a spike in numbers in Galway out, out in the West, because they're wild out there. Then what, what happens then? You know, do they do they kind of stop games then and training it out in the west of Ireland, or do the GA as a whole kind of roll back, or or do they kind of keep ploughing through? It'll be interesting to see how they manage that, Sean. And I'm not sure if if I have an answer to that. You know, from that mm. to be honest, I guess Ireland is such a small country, and there's the ability to travel around Ireland so quickly. So if there was a cluster in one part of the country you'd be concerned that it would travel pretty quickly to another um, part of the country. So I'm not sure how they, you know, how they would manage that. You can yeah. see maybe how in a, a bigger geographical country like Australia or the US, yeah. how that might be a strategy, like a statewide strategy. But yeah. I guess Ireland is just, is, is very small. So if there's an outbreak somewhere, um, you know, they may err on the side of caution and ju just yeah. stop things everywhere. Yeah, do do. Somebody put out a funny tweet last night where they said, "God help all the coaches and managers out there because all the lads and all the women now are mad to get back playing, but the pubs are opening back as well. So how are they going to keep them out of the pubs <laughs> and get them down to the pitch training, Joe? It's going to be a challenge." Yeah, there's going to be a problem there, Kieran. It'll be like back to the old days where the coach had to come into the pub to get boys out of the pub to go to training. Is that is that how it was in Mayo Bridge? Is that how you you? You rolled. <laughs> it was a few times, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on then to um, the actual phases. So what we're looking at really is, is five phases have been squashed into four phases as regards to GA. So we've the uh, phase two coming up on Monday. So finally, the GA grounds are reopening. And I have to say that this probably should have been done like ages ago, shouldn't it? Because... Like, can people not use a track around the perimeter of the GA ground and keep two metres apart? Like, Ryan, to me, that didn't make sense in the beginning, I thought. Yeah, like, you're seeing probably all over Ireland, maybe in England, the same. People are using public parks. They're using tracks anyways of, mm -hmm. of a different nature. So I don't see why the GA couldn't really provide for their members in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and even now, they're opening the tracks, but they're not opening the pitches. But in Ireland, you are permitted to train. I think it's in groups of 15. I could be corrected on that. But, yeah, 15, you know, like, yeah. So that's just going to resort to, you know, a, a small junior team going to the park <laughs> and pairing up the pitch there rather than going on their pitch. That's just my opinion. But I do think that's a bit, yeah. a bit weird I, as well. I heard Currafin actually train on a public uh, park that their pitch is public owned or something like that, which is quite interesting, like best team in Ireland. Um, and they're they're on a public park, but I suppose with that, it's probably the GA just going a little bit more stringent themselves than the government advice. And and I mean that's okay. Like Sean QPR locked down before the government advised organisations to lock down, didn't we? So everyone can follow their own kind of advice that they they want to put in things they want to put in to practice themselves, can't they? I definitely, um, and, and we, you have to kind of try and call it as, I, I think you have to 
pay some respect to what the government advice is, but yeah. you know, different organisations within that can make their own risk assessments and if they deem it to be unsafe to their members or their staff, well then you can make decisions like, uh, for example, you know, obviously QPR shutting down before yeah. schools shut down um, and, you know, so, so you, you can definitely make those decisions. Within. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's really, it's, it's, it's great. It's great to see the pitches back open, or the, the, sorry, the tracks back open because for, for communities in the countryside, it's an opportunity to actually to go and do some exercise where maybe they don't have access to, to, to parks. But Sean, they always have the fields, the great fields of Clare, or, or sorry, the burren, the burren in Clare, they can go running up on the burren. <laughs> That's it, the, the famous, famous burn. That's it, and I'm sure, um, you know, Sherlock Man's training methods will be will be coming back in, you know, in the sand yeah. Claire be winning in all Ireland football, but not not without my friend Gary Brennan, though. They'll 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 be missing him, I tell you. Joe, Joe, so we're so that's phase two. Phase three then is the 20, 29th of June, and I'm checking my dates just to make sure everything is correct. So 29th of of June. Um, so we're looking at it's, it's so it's going in like more or less three week periods, isn't it? So the 29th of June, then the pitches are back open, the clubhouses are closed. Um, there'll be are there temperature checks at that stage, or is that not until the next stage? I think that might be That's, the next stage. That, that will be at the phase three, yeah, 29th of June, where they're right. bringing temperature checks. Okay. And I think I believe that they're going to designate a person from each club. Uh, to be the uh, COVID coordinator. I don't know the exact name, but uh, they're going to have players or whoever's participating in the training session, including coaches, are going to have to fill in a questionnaire. And mm -hmm. I think they're going to have to get tested in terms of their temperature as well. Right. <clears throat> um, so that, that's, yeah, that's phase three here. Okay, very. Sean, a medical expert. We don't ever have medical experts on the show, so we might as well use this. Um, Tell us then, the temperature check, is that a very, very simple thing? And also as regards testing. So when are we likely to have access to a test that's like really quick results, whereby if you're planning on going traveling to somewhere or from country to country or, or, or meet your parent, elderly parents or grandparents, that you'll have access to a really quick testing mechanism and result, or, or are we not going to get that? Um, I think it, it's definitely coming. So obviously, you know, early early on, we were seeing huge issues with, you know, testing nationally in terms of yeah. the turn time was taking up to a week. Um, but now you're seeing, you know, I know in certain sports, they will have the ability to test and, and get a turnaround, get an answer within, you know, within, really within an hour. Um, right. You may see that kind of shift into other areas like an airport, so you can't travel until you've, you've had a, a, a test which is negative. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the temperature checks, I mean, it's definitely imperfect. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to, uh, you know, people are going to slip through the crack. It doesn't, you know, it's not the, the best, clearly it's not the best test to diagnose whether somebody's got, um, but it, it's just, it, one, it, it might give us some answers. It might obviously reduce some risk, an element of risk. Um, and also just the fact of having your temperature checked, well, just reminds you, well, what's going on? Oh yeah, I need to bear in mind. I need to have good hand hygiene and things like that. But with all these things, Kieran, we, we kind of are, are learning this as we go. Um, I don't think we have a definite answer for how good, you know, certain tests are and, and you know, how good the temperature checks are. Um, certainly, you know, I remember in, in kind of February time, March time, face masks, we, we would have thought, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, there's no need to wear face masks, don't wear face masks. 
you know, I would have been in that camp myself. But now actually the evidence has shifted and, and we know that, well, face masks, you know, they're certainly not going to do any harm that we know of, but they may actually help. So I think with all these things, we're, we're learning. We are learning. Can you be, can you be asymptomatic, can you be positive and asymptomatic and then have a lower temperature because of that? Uh, well, if, so if you have a temperature above 37.5, you'd probably have symptoms, so you'd feel yeah. feverish. Um, so, so that would make you, so yeah, you can definitely have um, a, a normal temperature yeah. and positive test and be asymptomatic. And, and some of the cases within, um, obviously, you know, you've probably seen in the Premier League, there have been some positive tests and yeah. they were generally asymptomatic. These guys didn't know that, you know, that they were positive or they may have. And that's just what, what makes this condition just so difficult and so tricky to manage is that, you know, you can be asymptomatic and going around and, and shedding yeah. the virus and spreading it everywhere. That's the problem. Tell me this, in the Premier League then, with those uh, uh, positive tests with the players, why do, why do the other players not have to quarantine then for 14 days? Because at the beginning of this crisis, it was like, if anybody in your family or workplace or whatever in close contact, the rest of the people then had to quarantine. I think ultimately if they're, they're making a judgment on well how, how close contact have they had with with the specific player um but also they are uh, they're, they're testing so frequently in the in the premier league they're probably able to do that and, and you know if they deem that certain people are at higher risk or right. closer contact with this individual then then they will isolate but you know they are just testing so frequently that they're able to make those um decisions quicker you know in or in the early days of the pandemic we were telling everyone to um, isolate for 14 days just because there wasn't that testing capacity there um, yeah. which obviously the, the Premier League have access to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really interesting the point, no, it's really good information. It, it, it's interesting the point about the face masks and everything like that and like if you think of certainly how it's been here in the UK, it has seemed to be very reactionary. So at every stage of the crisis it's like, okay, now we'll do face masks or oh, now we'll do the travel quarantine of 14 days. And I still think back to that brilliant speech by Dr. Michael Ryan under, uh, from the WHO at the very beginning of the crisis. And he, he was saying, like, I can't, I can't quote him, but he was saying like, act fast, perfection is, is, is the enemy of the good in this situation. Don't wait for everything to be perfect, just act straight away and, and, and you know, uh, it'll have the greatest impact. And, I think, Sean, you sent it to me first and you said uh, through WhatsApp and you said like this will be, you know, this will be quoted by sports teams even or any teams in the future. It was a brilliant speech, wasn't it? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You have to go after the virus. But I remember it well. Um, but that's right. I, you know, you are right. You have to, at the end of a pandemic, you want to be saying that, oh, you know, did we overreact here? Because, you know, it, yeah. that's it has to feel like and I guess you know that's been been well said and um, in other places in terms of face masks look they're, they're unlikely to, to do any harm that, yeah. that we know about now they may help but you have to consider other things you know like well what's you know does everyone have access to a face mask because there might be certain socioeconomic groups that you know for whatever reason can't get access you have to consider people with um, learning disabilities or that kind of thing is it going to come to harm to them um, but I think on balance probably you know in certainly in, in, in areas where it's not possible to social distance like public transport um, you know then definitely it seems like a, a no-brainer. Yeah um, <clears throat> I think the, the Asian countries have been uh, ahead of the curve haven't they due to 
the experience of going through SARS and MERS and everything like that, and they've probably had everything in place a, a lot quicker, I think. Joe, because I, I know you actually have to do a bit of work today. I, I know you're a teacher, but apparently every once in a while you do a bit of work so, and you'll have to go afterwards. So take us through then phase three. So we're looking at two coaches and 10 players on a designated area of the pitch. Now, it's not completely clear whether that means that you can have 10 players and two coaches on one half and 10 players and two coaches on the other half of the pitch, but we think it's, it, it's limited just to 10, isn't it? And two coaches, we think. Um, we think, Kieran. yeah. It's, it's a or, do, or, or do we not? <laughs> no, it, I, I've asked a few people last night, and um, it, it says small groups, uh, not more than 10 players, two coaches in a designated area of the pitch. Okay. So if you're saying designated area, that, that could mean you could split the pitch into three areas and you could have 10 in each area and you could have two coaches in each area. And that would mean you have, you know, 30 players and, you know, six coaches on the field. But yeah. all three are still in designated areas. Mm. As long, as long as the guidelines are here, obviously, as long as you're uh, two metres apart as well. So yeah. I think, I even think the GAA need to clarify that yeah. To, uh, to clubs, I think they need to come out and say, listen, you're only allowed 10 players on the pitch at one time with two coaches, and then you have to change it up, because yeah. it's very confusing, uh, even for us, for us, you know. So, yeah, yeah so... Um, I suppose there'll be, there'll be more clarity needed, you know, just more details, because we were getting loads of questions last night about that type of thing, and... And also, like, could you go back training now outside of the pitch and, you know, in the local park, like what Ryan was saying? And there's lots of little things, lots of little details. But so, so you've done up a, a couple of practices, Joe, just, uh, you know, for the kind of social distancing football and or Gaelic football. And you, you have them over on the website. And I saw a couple of them on Twitter and all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've done a few there, Kieran. Um, one of them, one of the problems with um, social distancing is um, queuing, uh, especially if you're doing an exercise where the, where the players queue up for, for, mm. uh, for a drill, especially when you're doing something like long kick passing. You might have three or four lads who are queuing or waiting to receive their pass. Uh, so I put up a few drills there for long kick passing, which means there are no queues. So they have designated areas in the pitch. Uh, and player, it's also semi-opposed as well. And all the players are always two metres apart. So, so what I'm going to do over the next few days is to make sure that we get another few practices up there that mean that the players can socially distance and that they're within the guidelines of what the, what the GAA have, have uh, issued last night. So, yeah, so lots of, uh, lots of different practices. Yeah. And even moving on to the next phase, uh, I think the GAA also has to make it clear, is that going to be full contact? You know, can that be like a 15 v 15? Uh, mm. for, for phase four on the 20th of July. So yeah, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see as we move on how, how we actually lift the restrictions. Yeah. So coaches need to be able to plan ahead, you know, for this. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting. We, what, we'll, what we'll have on the website is like basically <coughs> here's your, your weekly plans that you can access and this is the type of thing that you can do at this stage, this phase of the, the return. Yeah, I'm just looking at the... the that phase four so they're they're saying like resumption of, of club competitions um all forms of team and group training training permitted so i presume that's full contact motorball bottles mustn't be shared um 
I, I, I presume players will have to be very careful going in and out of dressing rooms or will, will that be allowed? It probably will be. I mean, they are saying like all, all buildings, GA buildings, oh, sorry, not permitted. So, okay, so at that stage, the 20th of July, still not permitted to indoor facilities. Okay, well, that, that makes that quite clear anyway. Um, so, Ryan, on to your the, the sports proximity report. So, I, I was getting bloody flack about this during the week. Because sometimes I like to look at things and go, do you know what? I think what people are saying there is bullshit and I'm going to say that out. And I then got flack. And it probably the last tweet that I got said to me that by some jacko fella said, <laughs> who's probably like a Russian bot or something like that. He said to me, um, enjoy rolling in your money that you're going to get from the GA while people are dying uh, in Ireland. <laughs> and I thought, okay, thanks, very nice. That's what we go on to Twitter for. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought that the, the report was quite positive with the results. Yeah, it was certainly. So, I suppose we can get into how it came about as well. Probably mm. maybe paint a, a better story of it. So, yeah, do do do. Ago, right, yeah, Ryan, just run through, just through, run through how it came about, and then what it is and I suppose some of the details, I have the details here myself as well, um, some of the details about the results and stuff like that and, and probably a brief mention of the methodology and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. So how it came about, as I was saying there, a few weeks ago we actually released a similar white paper in the Premier League, so with a few of our Premier League clients at Statsports and basically the requirements to be eligible for this is that every single player was wearing the Statsports Apex unit and that means that we have a track on every every single player and we can't be saying that you know someone wasn't wearing a unit and they might have came into contact but they didn't so we had every single player we looked at just training sessions in the premier league because that's all we had access to so training sessions pre-covid or pre-coronavirus pre-restrictions when there wasn't such hysteria or any paranoia around disease transmission stuff like that so the findings they were shocking as well in the, the premier league training sessions so on average there were 350 incursions. And an incursion is basically any time that another player comes into proximity with yourself or you come into proximity with another player. And the best way to think about it is if you draw a two-meter radius circle around every player. So that was the distance that we gave. And that was just going off the guidelines for social distancing. There are a few things out there from the WHO around one meters, but we thought it would be a bit more relevant with the current situation at the two-meter mark there so again an incursion is any time someone came into that that space so 350 times per player on average in a training session and that's a that's a big enough number but then when we looked at the average duration it was only 3.3 seconds for every incursion and again as you said Kieran on Twitter there's a few people saying you know the average don't be looking at that definitely not there, there's a range there as well so like the maximum time was over three minutes for some players there so there is a range of the durations of incursions, but on average, but, what we found was 3.3 seconds. Well, can I say on that, I mean, in academic journals and papers, people use averages. Like you, you yeah. use your standard deviations and the range, but average is how you, you usually report data. So that's no different. When people are saying, oh, you're only using the average, I thought, well, that's normal in, 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 in academic journals. Yeah, it is. And that's probably what, what fueled it as well. And that's yeah. probably what prompted the, the lack of a reply from myself and maybe others. You, yeah. you don't really know 
how to reply when something sounds like that. But yeah, so that, that's what we found in a, in the Premier League. And then we looked specifically at the drills as well. So obviously, speaking to anybody who's involved in football or anybody who's involved in sport, you're going to think you know your set pieces or anything that involves a high level of coaching is going to have more incursions. And that's what we found. So our, our set pieces working on free kicks, things like the warm up also had more incursions and for a slightly longer duration. But again, all things that can be modified moving forward. So like this report was integral to helping the Premier League give their their uh, recommendations around risk ratings and different drills that the teams can be doing as well. So yeah. we were quite happy with that. And then I suppose moving on to the, the one that I've been involved with, the, the GA one, this is basically what, what inspired it. And I'll start and I'll probably repeat this nine times, ten times, but this is not medical advice. And I know I appreciate we have Sean on today as well, and I hope he appreciates that as well. This is this is not medical advice by any means. It's uh, Sean, Sean is Sean is Sean is ready to jump in and pull you up on anything else. So be very very careful with the wordings <laughs> that you use. <laughs> I'll try my best here. Uh, yeah. So. Again, this is observational. This is what happened, and this is StatSports providing a white paper, which is an insight to what would have happened pre-coronavirus, pre-restrictions. And we looked at four games and five training sessions. So the games were from 2019 in the summer and from 2020 in the league. So they were all all Ireland or provincial senior championship games or a National Football League Division One game as well. So I'll get down to the, I suppose, the methodology for us, what we did. So anybody who is a user of Statsports with their team, they'll know that we can provide, obviously, our nice, lovely-looking reports, or you can have the raw data as well, where you really go into the numbers and you, you investigate further. So our unit samples at 10 hertz, which means 10 times per second. So every second, you'll have 10 samples for speed, for position where they are. And what we did was we looked at the positional data, so the latitude and the longitude. So that just tells us where a player is at any one time in relation to the pitch and the earth in general as well. So we took that data from the start to the end of the training session, and we also looked at the first half and the second half of games. We didn't look at anything in between the first half, second half. We didn't look at the warm-up. Sorry, we did look at those. We just didn't include the, the warm-up in the report because we thought we were trying to illustrate gameplay as best possible for when we do return. Yeah. So, well, isn't isn't so, an important point with that, Ryan? That I mean, the warm up it can be adapted and and is under your control. And that you as a coach can like you can go out and do a warm up where you get players to just run over and back across the pitch two meters apart and do kick and practice. And like I've seen Barcelona do warm ups like that and then go out and kill teams four nil. Like you can adapt that stuff. The point about the match is that it's a situation that's beyond your control. So you can't do, you can't control the game essentially. So, and that's the important data. Yeah. So like the game, as you say, Ulster Championship, Leinster Championship, once that ball's thrown in, unfortunately, no matter how much you care, no matter what your intentions are, you can't, you can't do anything there or you'll be suspended for a very long time if you try to. Yeah. But so the methodology of, the study itself, we took the raw data and we have our chief technical officer, Arthur McMahon. So he's, Proficient would be an understatement in software like Python. So he came up with his own custom script and he just put in that, that script where he looked at how many times players came into that two meter proximity and also the duration of that as well. So we did that and the results that we got back again were shocking. So the order that I did this in when I was actually getting the data was games and then training. So I was shocked at the games 
but then to say I was shocked that the training was was definitely an understatement. So of the four games we looked at, the average incursion amount per player was 539 times. So that's 539 times somebody has come into your space or you've come into their space across the first half, second half. So that was about seven to eight minutes on average as well. That's important to note. The maximum incursions were 1,730, and there was a big range there as well. So again, when we're talking about averages, make sure when you're reading the report, you're looking at the max and the min as well. Yep. On average then, we broke it down to maybe a more digestible format, which was the average incursions per minute. So there were 17 incursions per minute per player observed in the game, so every minute on average. And the max duration of any incursion was only 58.8 seconds, so under a minute. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have probably struck a few heartstrings with a few cornerbacks <laughs> up and down the country. Uh, there, there was definitely a, a bit of feedback on Twitter about that. Uh, yeah, 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 I saw that. <laughs> you know, talking to friends, oh, you obviously weren't involved in the study or you weren't involved in the study. But that, that's what we found, and that's the, the maximum. And again, it's important to bear in mind when people are reading this on Twitter, it's not club or it's not yeah, Division yeah, yeah, 4, yeah, yeah. Division it's the top level, and it, yeah. it can't really be applied to the club team on that basis no, as well. No, no, no. So that, that's important to keep in mind as well. And the average duration of all of these these contacts or these incursions was only 2.5 seconds. So again, significantly lower than we observed in the Premier League training sessions. And it is believable as well. Once, once I read that and I put it into context, at the start I was thinking, wow, this is, this is crazy numbers. But once you put it into context and you realize that it's the top top level, that's, yeah. that's pretty accurate there. Do you know, I... I wasn't surprised, actually, by the results. I know a lot of people were, but I thought that, because I, I, I kind of predicted it on Twitter a couple of weeks ago when I, when I knew that you were coming out with this report, when you mentioned it to me. And I said to a few people, you know, I think you'll be surprised by the results that come out from the GA, because if you think about it, in a game, you think that it's constant contact and people marking you in closely. But, and especially, in, let's talk about inter-county. But it's not when you come to think of it because there's so much movement and high-speed running and sprinting and brushing off each other and evading. Like, there's not that, not as much contact as people sometimes think. And it doesn't surprise me to see, like, f- professional football and senior inter-county being relatively similar because people think, oh, well, there's no contact in soccer. Lo- like, Plenty of contact in soccer, you know, like 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 in in in, in Gaelic football, but yeah, they, it didn't surprise me. Sean, you can correct me if I'm wrong now on this, but I suppose people, some people on Twitter jumped on the fact that up to 25% of the game, you're within two meter proximity to to a player, to any player, and that's the really important point, and that means that this is very unsafe to do. I kind of took it slightly differently. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I took it slightly different in that the average incursion is about 2.5 seconds. And a lot of them are very brief moments. And obviously others then are like up to a minute. But like when you think of the UK government to track and trace, if somebody is a test positive, they track and they trace and they tell people to, to isolate themselves not anybody who's come into contact at all with that person, but only the people who've come into contact, contact with that person for a prolonged period, i.e. 15 minutes. So if you're within two meters of that person for 15 minutes 
or if you're in a like a, if you spend apparently like a minute long uh, close conversation or something like that so that tells me and they always say that the greatest risk is prolonged exposure over 15 minutes so i kind of took it as well if players are only coming in and out of your you know the proximity for a bare 2.5 seconds surely that's not that much of a risk then of contracting the virus from that person yeah and i think it's it's, it's a difficult one to answer and, and you're right you know to, to to compare those two here and I, th I think you definitely do have a point where i think ryan's work and the work stat sports has been brilliant is because it's just objectively kind of giving us an, an idea of well how risky is Gaelic football? How risky is football? Um, when we developed our risk assessment tool um, over a month ago now, we, we thought of kind of, we were just thinking, well, contact sports, we're putting them all in the same bracket, so Gaelic mm -hmm. football, and we were thinking, obviously, the le much less risky sports were your golf and tennis, and they're the ones that can get back a bit sooner. But now, obviously, we've got, you know, these proximity reports, which are able to give us a, a bit more understanding and then we can compare that to other settings, you know, how does that compare with a trip to the supermarket or how does that, and that might give us a better idea, you know, of, of, of how risky these things are and can we allow them to proceed. And so I think it's really, really important work that Stat Sports have done um, around that. Yeah, I think, and, and that's, the, that's a, it's a good point you bring up, Sean, as regards with this is the data. Like there, there's no, there's no manipulating of the data and stuff like that. And when I saw, like people said that, <clears throat> you know, well, you didn't, you included subs. And okay, I, I don't know the exact detail, but I did look at it. I thought, okay, well, that's a limitation of the study. But when I look at lots of studies, uh, uh, peer reviewed and published in article, journal articles, they include subs. Some of them include them only if they've played, <clears throat> you know, at least 70 minutes of a soccer game or something like that. But other ones just include subs. So this is not any different than a normal academic study and it's a limitation and you you say that this is a limitation so i i found that strange and i suppose when people are saying like it's not peer-reviewed and stuff like that like and why is that being put out in newspapers i mean there's two things with that it's not peer-reviewed and i think like the guys at sasport said this is a white paper it's not peer-reviewed it's up to the newspaper then you know, Mar Maliki Clerken and in the Irish Times and some of them to go, okay, well, this is really interesting data. And the, the, the point is, is if you wait for peer re reviewed data during this period, yeah, you might get it published like in six or nine months time and the GA and the sporting authorities will have made decisions long ago. So there has to be a question of like academic rigor versus we need this data and we need this information right now to inform decisions. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And as you say, it's a white paper, it's observational. And at best, at most, all we're doing is providing an insight to what happened and hopefully it'll inform what will happen down the line. On the, the games, I'm going to say one more thing. I, I saw it on Twitter as well. It's uh, People were saying there must have been goalkeepers involved in this to in an effort to bring down the numbers or, or the average, yeah. sorry. Uh, generally, in the GA, all teams, if they're wearing GPS, the keepers might wear GPS during training, but they don't in games. So that's just their preference. And I'd just like to say on this study as well, the keepers were not wearing GPS. So it was 14 versus 14 on the pitch at any one time. That's interesting. Yeah, well, sure. Look, Rory Began and some of the others play as much out the field as in goal anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's probably dodging the data in that respect. Uh, no, I, I, 
Yeah, go on, Ryan. Sorry, just moving on to the training data then, but if you yeah. have a point there, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, I think there was a little bit of intellectual snobbery going on during the week and a, a, a number of people kind of jumping on the back of that and saying, oh, well, it's not. Why is this being published in newspapers? And I thought, well, do you know what? Why don't you go away and re uh, uh, design a report and get a journalist to run it in the newspaper if they find it uh, interesting enough? And I thought it was a little bit of kind of nitpicking and stuff like that. And, and I mean, the applied world, sometimes we don't wait on the academic information. Sometimes we have to go with best practice that we know we've information there, let's go with it. And in some ways the academia catches up with that. Obviously, you try and take as much information as possible, peer-reviewed uh, uh, journal articles, and apply it. But sometimes you have to just, like Sean, on a day-to-day -day basis in a club, you have to just roll with something, and it's a little bit of trial and error. Exactly, and I guess look, everything is moving so fast, and you know what, what we do last week is different this week so you just you just have to move on you have to try and you know answer these questions as best you can um and yeah and and yeah and you know sometimes just push things out and try and make decisions off the back of that and if it if, if it seems to be good information then then act on it yeah yeah i did listen i think i think before you move on to the training data uh right i think the talk of like vested interest is is, is kind of bullshit because if you think of like the ga world as a marketplace for staff sports is relatively small, you know, in comparison with the professional soccer world, like they're all over the world in different sports in America and everything. So the GA is so small. And I don't know, I think it's just a little bit insulting saying like vested interests and, and even a, a few responses back to me about that. I think, you know, take a hike, that kind of talk. Anyway, Ryan, tell us about the training data before we get to Sean's report. Yeah, no problem at all. So the, the training data was obviously significantly higher for anyone who's read the report already. On average, in an 87-minute training session, or that was the average duration anyways, there were 3,520 average incursions per player wow. per session, right. which is which is a huge, huge number yeah. in comparison to 539 in yeah. a game. Yeah. And then that average went up to 43 incursions per minute once we... We found that out as well. The max duration was 2 minutes 35 seconds, which again was higher than the 58.8 seconds we saw in the game. But the average duration was only 1.6 seconds. So yes, 300 instances, but 1.6 seconds on average of okay. those, those contacts, which was quite low as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so with that data, what I like about with that data is it allows you then to adapt your training sessions, doesn't it? Like you're not then going to be doing close quarter warm-ups you're not going to be doing tactical shape work kick out practice where you're standing beside the player it's going to be more large-sided games like i I, <clears throat> I listened to your interview on the donegal sports hub um website and it was saying about bigger spaces with less numbers isn't it that's what you're looking for yeah and uh, in my opinion anyways that's common sense to a lot of people in in sport and it okay. might not be it might be rocket science to some others but it, it should be uh it should be common sense to, to yeah. most people we did break down the drills then yeah. as well so obviously in the ga it's very very uh cloak and dagger maybe we could call it and mm -hmm. there's lots of different drills lots of different names but what we did was we got all of the <laughs> drills we had access to and we put them into classifications rather than drill names rather than truck and trailer and this and that 
So yeah, yeah, we yeah. had the on-field warm-up showed around 23 incursions per minute with 2.2 seconds of an average duration, which is big enough. But again, everything in training we can modify, and especially the warm-up. I know from my own experience in GAA before a game, before a training session, you've got that GAA activate. You've got the you know the four lines of cones or the six yeah. lines of cones. It's very linear. It's very in a, in a queue, as Joe was talking about earlier. Yeah. So that can be modified as well. Yeah. Moving on yeah. then, we looked at small-sided games, medium-sided games, and large-sided games. So they only showed eight incursions per minute for the small-sided game, and that was 1.7 seconds of duration. The medium-sided game showed 10 incursions per minute with over two seconds of an average duration. And the large-sided game actually showed less. It showed six incursions per minute with 1.6 seconds of a duration. So, again, we'll get into that in a, in a moment here. That's at yeah. the, the bottom of the report. But then we looked at things like tactical. So, kickouts were the most prevalent drill that we could get access to. And there were extremely high numbers there. But when you think about it, kickouts are maybe three, four, five seconds of ball and play time. And there's a lot of coaching time, a lot of static activity yeah. as well. So common sense to be applied there again, as I say, and that can be modified in some way. Yeah. And then we looked at shooting, tackling, kick passing drills. And there was there was high numbers there as well. But as Joe said in the, the drills that he's going to be releasing, queuing would have been a, a big element there. Because in a... a shooting drill or a tackling drill there's only ever maybe one two possibly three players on the ball at any one time the rest are waiting to get possession or they're standing quite static then we looked at conditioning so collective conditioning just to be clear on that multi-directional running showed six incursions per minute with an average duration of two seconds per dura or per incursion and then linear running was smaller again and that was four incursions yeah. per minute but again all things that we can modify and as I said on the interview with Funny Golf Sport Hub, participants and space are huge, huge factors in this. Yeah. So reduce the participants per drill and increase the space. On yeah. that, there's a case study at the, the bottom of the report. So the same team, they were a fan of 10v10 games, large state of games. And on one occasion, week one, we call it, they did a 10v10 game on a 90 meters squared pitch. So 90 meters long by 90 meters wide. And on that, they showed 10 incursions per minute per player on average and yeah. the duration of that was around 17 seconds each incursion so if you're thinking about it you know you're probably going to be man marking as such in a 10 v 10 game or following your man they did the exact same thing the next week but this time they opened it up they did it on a full pitch mm. so where it's usually 15 v 15 they did 10 v 10 i'm not sure the positions they laid out they lined out in sorry but mm. there was three incursions per minute so that went down from 10 to three yeah just yeah. from opening the space up so again like that that's one of the key take-homes and maybe i'm being insulted saying it's common sense but it definitely is one of the one of the key take-homes there we can control the participant size we can control the drill dimensions and we can yeah. have an impact on reducing the risk of incursion not negating it we definitely cannot get rid of contact because it is a contact sport but yeah. we can put things in place to to modify this Exactly, and and that's why I like to report because you've got object, like Sean said earlier, you've got ob objective data that then you can use to design your practices. And the slight change there of going from ninety by ninety to like full length, which is ninety by one hundred and fifty, one hundred forty-five, you know, the, the difference then is massive. So all you need to do is adapt your practices. You di you didn't get a chance to take a look at Coach Coach Carmody's drills or practices did you 
Yeah, I had a skim <laughs> over last night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They'll be interesting ones. But look, it's it's and I think that's what we'll be doing with the website is actually taking that objective data and applying it to like these are the practices you should do. Because I think coaches will probably need a bit of help. It's an interesting one, Sean, because obviously you're you work in the medical department in football clubs and stuff like that. In some ways, like there, there, there is going to be, there is going to be an intensified preseason, isn't there? So, like in terms of the Premier League, they're looking at was it about three weeks of full contact? I think before returning. Did you? Yeah. yeah so I think I think the, what it's looking like is that the Premier League are going to are going to have four full weeks of contact training right. by the time they return June seventeenth. The tricky bit is obviously the EFL announced that they were going to come back around a similar date as well so they're you know the players there are getting a week less um and, you know, actually that you know there is a, a significant you know risk there i guess because as much as you know all of these players would have been doing remote training programs and, and you know doing their own work away from away from the club it's not the same as you know getting that football specific fitness and yeah it's really important and even getting a chance to play a couple of friendlies as well um you know would be would 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 definitely reduce the risk and i guess that applies to Gaelic football as well when the teams go back you would just hope that they're not going to be expecting them to go straight back into competition that there will be just you know a chance for them to de- to develop that um robustness that's going to reduce the risk because if if they're injured they can't play and it's all been in vain yeah, so so with with the with the GA intercounty, so they can return to training the fourteenth of September, and then it's envisaged that matches will begin October the seventeenth. So you're talking about what's that five weeks probably of training. A very interesting point that you made, which I didn't think about, is the lack of preseason games. So you're going to go essentially from training to a competitive match. And like any sports scientist, physio, doctor will say that that's, that's a recipe, recipe for disaster or a high-risk strategy. Um, I mean, the one thing with the Gaelic games is that they will have the club season. So at least they'll be able to kind of build up towards the inter-county. But at the front of that, the, Ryan, the club, again, like they're very limited time because if you think of the 20th of July that you can return to full contact training and then beginning of competitions, you're looking at the 10th of August. So like that's, that's what three weeks. Yeah. So three weeks of full contact before um, competitive games for the GA. And the problem is, is a lot, a lot of club GA coaches probably haven't been following the right type of fitness work. Yeah, for sure. I think, with the, the positivity of the announcement, you know, yesterday evening, training probably should start now. And yeah. I'm saying that on a Ryan McLaughlin's personal opinion, not yeah. the opinion of anyone else. But I think players should be starting now to think about their high-speed running, to think about getting game-specific movements in there. Because once you go back training, if you've been doing 5K runs, these, these famous 5K runs, and all of a sudden you have to sprint for a ball, you, you can't tell yourself to do that at 85%. Pace. Yeah. You know, if there's a man beside you, you're going as hard as you can. So yeah. I think we need to start thinking in that regard and going from a load management point of view, I suppose, not cramming it in. It's not like the leave insert exam. We're not cramming everything into three weeks like I did. But we're we're trying to build that up as time goes on. So that's why it should start now, in my opinion. And that's why it should be gradual, it should be incremental. 
and you should be in a better position to go back to training. But at the same time, that's from the players' point of view. Yeah. The managers, the coaches need to be aware and considerate of that as well. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, they're your players. If you push them too hard, they'll drop, and they they're not there for the game, which ultimately is is the main thing, possibly yeah. the only thing you could argue. Yeah, we, we, we did a pod, our first podcast actually was about training in this period, in, during the COVID period, and, and it was quite popular. And we spoke about, Sean, treating this in some ways kind of like an off-season. So working on your aerobic capacity, um, keeping in touch with the high-speed running as well, just for hamstring uh, injury prevention. And then just think of it as, well, what's my window of opportunity? What would I like to work on to improve? It might be my agility. It could be, like I said, aerobic capacity and kind of focus on that as well. But no point, there's no point in during this period that we've just passed, I suppose, replicating what was going on before because there's no need for it, you know, because it was an off-season. Now, professional football has changed, obviously, now because they've got a date. So they need to think of getting back to the stage to step up their progression up to being full-on match level. But what you want to avoid is that spike in training, though, don't you? You know, not, not to have gone from, like, relatively little to then bang three weeks later, QPR playing in the championship. That's it. You, you want to do it progressively, but there is only a very fine amount of time to do that. And you need to get the, the players to be able to play at, you know, championship level. Um, and, you know, you can't just, you know, do very little, little, try to prevent injuries because, you know, if you, if you do nothing, obviously you're not going to get injured. Um, but you just need to, you know, try and build as, you know, as effectively um, as you can. And obviously the, the example which everyone's spoken about is obviously the Bundesliga was the, one of the first leagues to go back yeah. and they had lots of spike in, in muscle injuries in that first weekend because I guess, you know, the players just weren't conditioned um, um, yeah. and prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it, and it'll be it'll be interesting to look at see how things go will go in the Premier League and the Championship. Ryan, how do you think things will work out as regards, like we'll have the club season. So we're kind of going to have in GA a club preseason, very short club preseason, club season for about two months or about 12, 10 weeks or so, and then into the to the the county season. And it, it'll be interesting to see, like even teams who get knocked out early out of the club are they going to be dragged across by the inter-county manager is there going to be a bit of conf conflict there where the county manager is saying well look I know you're still with the club but I want to get you lads fit I want you to get in training it'd be very interesting to see that dynamic won't it yeah I, I'm not really sure how it's going to go at the minute I know like the GA are going to give out their, their rules or guidance but I think as far as I'm aware it's down to every individual county board as yeah. far as competitions and fixtures go. So like I'm, I've been aware last night of a few counties that are planning like a mini league and also a championship. And from a load management point of view, yes, you're, you're rolling your eyes and stuff. Yeah. For me, like if it was me, I would probably think about maybe a league format championship. So that way, you know, players are getting to play for yeah. more than one game. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you don't want to train all year to play one game, no matter what's at stake there so again not too sure how it's going to play out but yeah. i do think with the right communication between intercounty and club and obviously the county boards and the ga i do think it could play out quite well yeah and player welfare number one yeah i think like rules will definitely be broken because county managers sean we know county managers are awful selfish people and they'll 
they'll, uh, they'll, I'm sure they'll break the rules in, in each county. But it's a good point, Ryan, because a lot of people are, are crying out for this knockout competition and it's kind of harking back to an old age, like the Joe Brawley kind of, let's go back to the 50s where we wear caps and have a whiskey at halftime. But like for knockout, do we really want to go back to where you play one game, you lose and that's it, you're done. And then like that's the only championship match you played that whole season. I think you need to at least have a kind of a qualifier system or as you say, a little mini league with a kind of a minimum minimum amount of games, you know. Um it it, it will be interesting. Sean, you, you had you so you um authored a very interesting study about so about a month ago at this stage and it was titled uh, when can professional sport recommence safely during the COVID pandemic? risk assess assessment and factors to consider. And I found it really interesting because, <clears throat> and this was in the, um, the British Journal of, of Sports Medicine. So you're, you're flying high with, with, with those journals, so well done. But it was very interesting because it, it sounded to me or it looked to me like it was very much based on common sense, which sometimes is not common, but in the medical profession, common sense. But also as well that I liked that there were different levels and different factors and you could kind of categorize things and and also all the time work off the who um their uh, advice and announcements and everything like that so you tied it in quite nicely i thought yeah i think you know when 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 we kind of started this or started to put this paper together uh, alongside my the co-authors andrew murray who looks after the the golfers on the european tour andrew massey who's the chief medical officer of fifa um vincent gutebarge at, at fifa pro it was kind of in, in the depths of, of april really where we were all a little bit depressed and helpless and you had you know the french football league where, where had cancelled everything and but we you know i guess we just wanted to try and answer the question well how can can sport get back? Because at some point it's going to have to get back because yeah. you know this COVID nineteen is going to be around for a while. So we wanted to consider how we did that, and I guess we you know it's not we as you said, Kieran, it, it is common sense, and, and we just built on really the World Health Organization's yeah. source document on on mass gatherings, um, and it's just it's just a risk assessment tool, and and very broadly speaking, I guess I guess where it might be very relevant to, to the GA is obviously the debate at the moment about whether games should go ahead behind closed doors um, and things because obviously if you're going to you know play behind closed doors that reduces the risk in a big yeah. way um, so so you know we if you look through our risk assessment tool if you were to put in a Premier League game in April um, you know that just can't go ahead because of a because of the restrictions that were in place by the government and also just because the cases were, were so high so yeah. we were just looking at you know the, the you know well it was looking at the risk assessment tool, but then what interventions could you put in place to reduce that risk? And I think, you know, you'll, you'll see uh, the GA will be doing every, every governing body will, will be having a risk assessment for all their, you know, uh, significant, uh, you know, competitions, I guess. Um, yeah. We know now, and as we've seen in the GA's document and, and in World Rugby's document, that there is going to be enhanced hygiene standards and hand washing and everything to try and reduce it. There's yeah. going to be athletes and staff education. I think everyone is just so clued up and well, you know, well read now around, um, you know, hygiene measures and illness prevention. You you don't need to be a doctor. It's really you know really basic stuff to to understand that and to push that and 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 to have that as a high standard. And then it's just minimising the number of persons and you know that ties in 
with the kind of drills you were selecting in terms of obviously having less people, less people, the less chance of transmission. Um, and then, you know, if you take away, you, you probably have to consider your staff as well. So certainly on, on certain GA coaching staff, there might be people who are above the age of 65. There might be people who are, have certain medical conditions who are on certain medications where actually to be in that environment might be quite risky. So probably, you know, the, the COVID officers that you've mentioned probably do have to do that risk assessment and make decisions and maybe remove those places at people. And um, because it, it, again, it reduces the risk for them, for them further. Um, and ultimately, as we, you know, spoken about through all of this, it has to be, the, the country has to have, you know, low community transmission of COVID-19. Otherwise all of this is, 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 um, you know, useless and, and you've got to have, um, testing available and you've got to have contact um, tracing and be able to do that um, and you can't be taking testing from uh, uh, health services which which I guess need it more um, you know sport has, has to go on and uh, while you know you can't compare the Zika outbreak which was going on in Brazil during the Rio 2016 Olympic Games to necessarily to what's going on now you know sport has existed during public health emergencies before so so we definitely can um, you know can, can make it work yeah yeah yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I really enjoyed reading through it, actually. And I like the colour coordination or, or the, 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 the traffic, sorry, traffic light system about higher level of risk and, and stuff like that and the categorisation. And very easy to follow. And I think the GA world can take such an article and kind of apply it across and say, OK, well, if we're to go behind closed doors or with fans or when there's high transmission in the community or low transmission, it's a very simple way to kind of assess risk. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start, I'll get that out on social media. I know it's very, very popular read when, when you put it out a couple of weeks ago, it got a really big response from all over the world. So I, I must put that out to some of the GA gang. It kind of looks to me, Sean, like the Premier League have kind of taken on board a lot of those things really and in assessing their risk and the hygiene and everything. Well, I, I, look, I, 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 you would expect that anyway. I mean, this isn't, I'm yeah. not going to claim to be, you know, that we've come up with this or that. It is, you know, fairly common sense measures and, and yeah. just, you know, the, the World Health Organization have done the work in that respect. And um, there is another really good paper which uh, came out again in the mm. British Sports Medicine from the chief medical officers of the RFU, Rugby, the FA, the Premier League, um, uh, the English Institute of Sport um, and that was just kind of again the five stages of return to elite sport in the UK um, and just you know much of what we discussed before but you know so stage one would be where you're training in individuals stage two is team or group training and if we yeah. think in all contacts tech context at the moment that's where we're at and, and then stage three will be competition so we're heading there June 17th and um, and then it's uh, you know uh, having behind closed doors but you know, because I know the Champions League UEFA Cup are, are planning to come back, you know, fairly soon. Mm. So, you know, will we be able to travel? Will, will you know, what yeah. will happen there? And then ultimately, it's in when competition comes back with fans. And, and we know, you know, fans are so important to sport and, and in the GA. So that'll be um, interesting to see. Yeah. I guess a, a very unique challenge the GA have to consider is the six counties and the London team. And, and about how, how you involve them if cases in the UK are much higher than Ireland. And, and that's going to be a real a real tricky um, uh, topic for, for the GA to, to, to navigate about how they how they deal with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, Ryan, I suppose you have a little bit more experience. I know Donegal is in Ulster, not in Northern Ireland, but in, in Ulster. But it seems like they're taking an all-island approach 
uh, at the moment as regards the, the next phases and stages. But it's, it's a good point that Sean makes. It will be a tricky situation as regards the rules and regulations in the UK and, and in Ireland. Yeah, I think they are taking a, an all-island approach now. Initially, there was a bit of a divide there and maybe maybe lack of guidance, you could say, in Northern Ireland as opposed to a pretty good job done in Ireland. But I think now everyone's getting on the, the same wavelength. Yeah. And there, there probably could be a risk factor there as well. I agree with Sean. Uh, but again, it's, it remains to be seen. It's, it's unprecedented and I'm sure it's one of those we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, Scenario, exactly. unfortunately. Exactly. Lads, la- last few little things. Sean, do you think, do you think we'll see like over, the, over this season in, uh, in Premier League and in GA, do you think we'll see supporters at games? Uh, I, I honestly don't know the answer, Kieran, because you know, as we've seen in this pandemic, it's just so hard to predict what happens and if there's another outbreak, well then that changes everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that in terms of project restart in the Premier League, I don't don't think we will see supporters, and and, and that's kind of that takes us up to the middle end of July kind of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would think at some point you may see the return of supporters again. It will be people under the age of sixty five, you know, without coexisting uh, health conditions, and I suspect you won't see full stadiums for a while. So it might yeah. be you know social distanced. Um, I, I guess that that might be a start. Um. But it's, it's very hard to know. And I think we've, we really won't feel like we've gotten through this until we see the full stadiums again, until we see Croke Park full on Ireland Day. And that's, you know, I think that's what we're all, that's what all these efforts are, 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 are there to do. And that's to bring back the sport we love. Properly, exactly, exactly. Sean, you, you were involved with the, the, the COVID-19 medical consideration for return to footballing activity by FIFA. That, that's an interesting uh, uh, um, study as well. Well, again, that's more guidance, I guess. Uh, and all governing bodies, you know, World Rugby were one of the first with Aina Falvey um, to produce their document and GA followed suit. And again, FIFA have theirs. Um, I guess the challenge FIFA have is they just have so many uh, countries to, to support yeah. and all have different results, all have different numbers of COVID-19. So you're just trying to apply that. And then you have to think about professional sport which within professional sport, different leagues have different levels of resources. Some are able to test, um, you know, twice a week. Some aren't able to test at all. And then you have to, you know, which is it's really important. You have to consider grassroots football as well, because at some point that's, we're going to have to get back to that as well. And that's so important for, um, you know, it's those physical benefits, mental benefits. So it's it's really important. But yeah, yeah, that's just a very, I guess, generic guidance. It, it has the risk assessment tool that I mentioned um, in there and hopefully it just is, it provides a framework for um, countries who may not have, um, you know, specific guidance from their governing body yeah. to get back playing. Very good, very good. I do have to say, I was, I did get excited the last couple of days when I saw Miguel Delaney with the Independent over here in, in the UK starting to put out like the fixtures and the games that are going to be on TV and like there's, you know, on a Friday night, there's a game. On a Saturday, there are three games, live TV. Sunday, three games, live TV at the Premier League. It's, it's exciting, isn't it? Pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's good. Ryan, hopefully, I mean, the, the last point I'd make about the GA is I think people saying that they're best not to have any GA rather than GA behind closed doors, I think is a, a bit madness because obviously we all want full stadiums and it to return to normal, but... Like you, you surely you'd take a live Dublin v Kerry All Ireland final, you know, on on TV, sitting at home on TV watching that, 
versus like no All Ireland at all. Yeah, I'd be of that opinion, anyways, one hundred percent. As Sean says, there, hopefully, we will get to the stage where there will be, you know, maybe not full capacity, but modified capacity. We could call it, you know, maybe forty thousand at Crow Park or thirty, twenty thousand. Again, for if the resources are there in place and there is the, you know, maybe the, the capacity to socially distance those those fans. But from my own experience, GA is so emotional, and if you're a supporter. <laughs> If you're a supporter and you've got a sticker on the ground that you're supposed to, to stand on at a club game and it's a, a local derby, I, I can see that that backfiring bigly. But uh, no, overall, I do think things are positive. We're moving in the right direction. And I think it's just a matter of how quickly we're moving. Yeah, but if yeah. everyone keeps their head, we'll, we'll get yeah. there eventually. Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a hesitantly positive step, isn't it? And you yeah. just hope people are mature and responsible and follow the rules and, and everything like that. Okay, brilliant. Ryan McLaughlin from Stat Sports and Donegal S&C coach, hurling S&C coach, and Dr. Sean Carmody, uh, consultant um, football doctor. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I will remind people as well, Go on over to our website, dailysportscience.com. We've got loads of new practices. We've got a hurling section now. We're about to announce um, online training. So we've linked in with um, ripped.app, which are, are sponsoring this episode. So that's ryptapp um, And they have a brilliant new service. We're going to be rolling it out for, for across the board for our members and also for non-members, where you can go in and online track players uh, the, the exercise they're doing, setting the program exercises for them, getting RPEs, wellness questionnaires, and also you can take care of team-based, but also individual clients and individual players. And Cormac O'Byrne and the lads with, with Rift are really, you should, the interface is fantastic. I really like it. I like how it's very intuitive. Um, so go on over to their website and you can get two months free access to that so i'd recommend all snc coaches kerry ga team sean are using it and if it's good enough for david clifford and shawnee o'shea then it's it's definitely good enough for us well i've known him an adopted kerry man uh, <laughs> very good okay thanks guys and and um we'll speak to you soon thank you thanks, thanks, guys. thanks, thanks. lads